Welcome to episode 17 of the Thereafter Podcast. Your host, Cortland Coffee here, along with my co-host, Josh Annemeyer. Happy to be here on 17. How was your day today, Josh? Dude, oh, the last two days, work days, have been extremely stressful. Because I'm doing these animations, and I don't know, ever ever dabbled with making animations? Yeah, take a I long, gave up. long time. <laughs> Yep, I I tried to do that once and I was like, nope, this is hard. <laughs> Everything with video or like any type of like motion graphic production, nope. Not my <laughs> not my skill set. Not your skills, not your cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, there's been a few times where I just wanted to pull out my hair, but it's hard cuz you I don't have any hair, so Yeah, I was going to say you have more options. stressful. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. How do you, how do you, Josh, this is a good little segue, Josh, how do you handle stress? What are some things that you do to handle your stress? Um, I like to unplug like for stress. Watching anything on TV or anything helping you relax? Um, so I've been watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh yeah. I've heard that's a thing. That's pretty good. It's all over my um, Twitter. I was actually kind of depressed today because of the, uh, this kind of sounds silly, but like the movie awards, like, cause I love movies and stuff, but consistently the movie awards, um, season has shown like so many people not watch it. Like the ratings drops like tremendously. And, um, I don't know. I just feel like, man, nobody's watching movies anymore. Kind of makes me sad. <laughs> people aren't watching movies or people aren't watching movie awards. Cause I tried to watch the movies. Oscars last night and movies. I only got like 37 minutes in and I was like, this shit is boring. <laughs> yes. Anyway, <laughs> this week on the thereafter podcast, we have uh, a, a pretty awesome guest. I am really excited. Uh, I was excited to have the opportunity to talk to Megan Crozier. Did I say your name right? You did. We reiterate it in the episode. It's not Crozier. No. It's how, how, how you would have said there, it. Yeah, no. There's a reason. I mean, I, there's yeah. people I work with. Their last name is Gautier, and it's spelled the same ending. And people have said, yeah, anyway. <laughs> people you work with say, are you in the mafia? It's, it's just hard. It's just a hard kind of spelling. You don't know if it's French or where you that comes know. from. You don't know until you ask. So Megan, Megan is somebody who I met and we talk about this in the interview, but I met her on clubhouse and I love, I, I have loved meeting Megan because she has introduced me to so many people and she is such a connector and that's so my energy. I just love people who are constantly connecting and building relationships with other people and having conversations uh she is the one who introduced me to weird christian twitter which is a hashtag uh <laughs> and and i've really gotten into twitter lately um and wct hashtag wct or hashtag weird christian twitter has been a fun little uh corner of the internet that megan has introduced me to and shout well, out to I'm, those people is it is it like okay I don't know what that is. So is it active active Christians who are weird or weird things that have happened 
in Christian environments in the past? Yes. Like, what is, how do you define? I don't know. It's just a cult it? <laughs> of people who have identified themselves by this hashtag, Weird Christian Twitter. And uh, the people I've met through the hashtag have been cool as hell. So, anyway. Um, and then Clubhouse has been has been really cool hanging out with Megan on Clubhouse. Uh, and I we get into this in the interview, but I, I think that the thing... The thing about Megan to me and and why I was excited to talk to her and why I'm excited to share this episode is because, you know, there's a lot of people who are in this space and this is not like shade on anybody who's like building a platform, I mean, or having a podcast or whatever, right? We happen to be those, those guys doing that. <laughs> um, but like, you know, Megan is so authentic and genuine about just having conversations and building relationships. And and I think that that is just such a needed and unique kind of uh, approach to uh, the deconstruction space. Um, and again, not to like, you know, we need courses, we need uh, coaching, we need all that sort of stuff. And I think Megan is going to be getting into coaching soon, which is really cool. Um, but it's been really fun to meet and relate with her and, and, and build a relationship with her while, you know, it's just really about connecting people. Um, and that, that, that really is a lot of, you know, why I wanted to start this podcast and, and what we want to do with thereafter kind of moving forward is creating space for conversations and for people to meet each other and, and, and build community. Um, because I think that that is, you know. I mean, to me, it's 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 what I'm looking for. I feel like it's what a lot of people are looking for. That's what we're all looking for. Yeah. So, anyway, Josh, anything else uh, uh, on the intro before we get into the episode? No, I think we're ready to roll. All right, roll the tape. All right, welcome to another episode of the Thereafter Podcast. Your host, Cortland Coffee, here along with my co-host, Josh Annemeyer. Say hello, Josh. Hello. All right. We are here with our guest, Megan. And Megan, I should have asked you before we started recording pronunciation correctly of your last name. Can you? Crozier. You want it? Crozier. Okay. That's how I would have said it. So I just didn't want to sound silly. Megan Crozier. Uh, that's we not are... how I would have said it. Really? I would have gone okay. Crozier. <laughs> Crozier. Ooh, sounds that, sounds, fancy. that does sound fancy. <laughs> so Megan is uh, someone who I have met uh, through Clubhouse, and now we've been uh, pretty good, become pretty good Twitter buddies. Um, and I just enjoy all of the content that she creates. Um, we're going to have her kind of give a quick background on who she is. So Megan, why don't you, you know, in summary, kind of tell us a little bit about maybe what brought you to kind of the space that that you're creating online now uh, and the things that you're doing with uh, the Pursuing Life, which is kind of your project across all platforms that I've gotten to become familiar with. Yeah, sure. So um, I wrote a book and it was a story, a memoir of prayer. And what happened while I was writing is I started to come up to things that had happened in my life that I thought, man, that's kind of messed up. And things like purity culture and things like patriarchy and things about evangelicalism that really just came to my came 
right up into my face when I was writing this book. And so when I was done, as I was trying to think of what to do with it, I really kind of launched into this faith deconstruction journey. Um, but I started this blog, The Pursuing Life, where I started to kind of explore these topics in, in more detail. And um, it also kind of landed me in Clubhouse, where I had the opportunity to talk through some of these things with people in community and start to explore uh, maybe these things that I have been taught my whole life are an interpretation of something that I was led to believe in these mega churches and these non-denominational evangelical churches. And so I've just been kind of leaning into those questions and building, I wouldn't say building, but finding a community in that yeah. and loving it. So. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about, cause I'm, I, you know, we've talked a lot about you and I on, you know, clubhouse and in various different, uh, platforms about deconstruction, but as much as you're comfortable, share a little bit about maybe what your background was. Did you grow up in church? Have you been in church your whole life? Kind of give me a little background about what brought you into the kind of pre-writing that book, Megan. So I did grow up in church. Um, and I was very much student leader in the youth group and did all the things and followed all the rules. And I went to a Christian college. My church was evangelical free, but it was more of a community church based on the Willow Creek model. I'm, I grew up in the Midwest, so we visited Willow Creek from time to time. We were definitely influenced, modeled off of them. And I spent that, a lot of time at Willow Creek. I'm well, well familiar uh, with the Willow Creek model mm, for sure. Yes. Yeah. They definitely have had an impact um, w for whichever way we say that impact <laughs> that we see. Yeah, we can get into that later. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I went to school at a um, small Christian college in Chicago called North Park University, affiliated with the Covenant Evangelical Covenant Church, um, which has also had, um, there's been some things in the media lately in the last few years about their solid hard stance against the LGBTQ community. And so... That's definitely something I always explore in all of this space. But basically, I was that good Christian girl. And then I almost became a missionary. And there were a couple things in my life that stopped me from that. And I took kind of a turn where I always thought was like my turn away from God. And looking back, and as I wrote that book, it was more of like, no, maybe actually I was becoming closer to who I was in the end. And I think what I saw in the arc of that book was me in college thinking that I would be a missionary and marry a spiritual leader and, and find myself 20 years from then being, you know, a homeschool mom, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just I, the vision of who I was in college was not who I became 20 years later. And so now living in the Pacific Northwest, being a bilingual teacher and married to somebody that didn't grow up in the church and really just supports my journey and whether it's deconstruction or not just has been letting me lead spiritually was something that I never pictured. And, um, yeah. there's a whole other piece mm. where I have a, um, a daughter that was on kind of a medical journey and we were looking for a diagnosis for that. And so there was this whole complication of healing and miracles and all that, which we don't have to get into, but that was a piece of why I wrote the book too. Okay. Okay. And, and so you wrote that book, you know, like kind of not, not too long ago. When was it that you wrote, uh, the book? It was so I kind of started writing during quarantine. So I'm I'm a teacher and that day that we kind of everything shut down, um, 
for my husband, he just walked upstairs and did the same job in his office and, and it was fine. And for me, it was totally turned upside down the way that I did life. And so I think as this self-care kind of outlet, I started writing, I started journaling, and then I started discovering tons of journals from my college days and kind of putting those together. And so the, in, the even, in the days I would teach and in the evenings I would write. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that, that we started this podcast really to kind of talk about, you know, the impact of community in faith change and how, you know, isolating it can be and how scary it can be to go through any type of faith change, right? No matter how small there's always, I think, you know, throughout all the conversations we've had with people, this fear of losing relationship, of losing community, um, and really a losing, you know, even just kind of your, you know, foundational, you know, reality. <laughs> that, was, that was my experience. Um, one of the things that I think has been so interesting about the work that you've been doing and the work that I've, you know, seen you've been doing online is the community that you're engaging with and the people that you're meeting. Would you talk a little bit about that experience in, in terms of, you know, you start putting this stuff out there and it seems like people have really responded and kind of come around and, and engaged in this conversation and what that has felt like, you know, for you. Uh, because I think that could be helpful for other people who are worried about speaking publicly or engaging publicly about those types of things and, and are worried about, you know, am I going to find other people or am I going to lose community? So maybe talk a little bit about your experience in that. Yeah, definitely. So I will say that, um, I started this whole process of faith deconstruction in quarantine. Right. And so I wasn't going to church every Sunday and sitting through sermons and, internally having a battle and smiling and talking to people and, and having that happen and which I know tons of people have had happen. Um, I did, I was doing a lot of reading and a lot of digging in and the really one of the first topics I dug into was the LGBTQ community and just the, the church's non-acceptance. And so, um, it has been interesting because on the one hand I've had, I I'll put out a post and I'll have somebody reach out privately and say, something quite hateful about, you know, so are you saying this, that you accept this now and that, you know, and, and I'll, I'll kind of talk through it. And, you know, I've had some good friends that I've had those conversations with, but what I've seen on the flip side is I have this passion and this desire to really, I guess, see people and see people that have not been seen and see people that have been excluded from the church. And, and I have started to see there, there are people in my life that were never religious to begin with that have never even felt like that would be a comfortable space for them that are drawn into this pursuing life community. I have a Facebook group too. And, and we'll talk about things like cancel culture or things like complicated things, abortion, um, and, and all the different sides of it. And they feel safe saying how they're feeling without getting attacked but also um, exploring and unpacking all the different sides of things. And so these are issues that people may not really know yet where they stand on, but need a place where they want to wrestle with it and a safe place where they can talk through, pro, like, what does it mean to be pro-life or pro-choice? And what does it look like to be 
Um, what, what, what are we, how do we view immigration and politics and, and what do we think about January 6th and, and how do we feel about that? And so I think having a place, there's not a lot of safe places to do that. There's a lot of places where people have one side presented and then there's a lot of argument back and forth. The people who were looking for a place to explore where they could dig in a little deeper in a safe way. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I feel like so many, um, of our institutions, Christian, Christian institutions. I mean, they aren't even having these conversations. They're just, they maybe once every two years is going to have, there's going to be some sort of message from the pulpit, but nobody's really having like <laughs> conversations about these things. Yeah. And I think, I think that there's, there is a, a cultural phenomenon of, you know, that I experienced in evangelicalism that says you need, it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with what I experienced with like apologetics culture. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a, a, a term, uh, that's really been used, but you know, the, the, this needing to have, uh, what's a, what's a, you know, a reasonable defense of your faith or whatever, it, it, it kind of turned into this, uh, culture that, that said, you need to know where you stand on everything all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And certainty. I, yeah, it's a, it's this certainty. And so, uh, I can definitely like relate to, you know, how do you approach these conversations with people from different, you know, backgrounds and people with, different at different stages of learning um in these types of issues how how have you found the environment you know like as far as you you still are are pretty you know well in many christian circles and christian conversations online it's not like one of the things that i think is interesting about your work and your your platform is you're engaging with people of faith not necessarily just engaging with people who are ex-christian or post-christian and and so yet you do still engage with people like myself who no longer identify with any type of faith system. So what has that been like in terms of having conversations with people across the spectrum of belief? Um, and have you found that to be, um, difficult or rewarding? Tell, I mean, tell me a little bit about how you're, because it's, it's, I think scary a lot of times for people to engage in that dynamic of conversation. Yeah, definitely. I think, I do get a little ranty sometimes towards the evangelical church. And I think when I first started this, I was a little bit of fearful of words like deconstruction or exvangelical because I felt like that, even that kind of put me in this box of post-Christian and that wasn't where I landed. I really, really liked the the progressive Christian. I felt like it put me on the, on a spectrum where I could, I could kind of explore and ebb and flow. And I think, um, what I've loved about the conversations that I've had, what what draws me to atheists and agnostics and people that are post-Christian is I feel like there's this openness in that space that is that says, I'm not really sure if I've landed here. I'm not really sure if I've cornered the market on on truth, but I'm okay with that and I'm comfortable with that. And I don't need a label to define me. And I think that's that's what's missing in the in the search for certainty 
within evangelicalism, because I think there's this desire to grip onto something so tightly that if you start to open your fingers to it, you feel like, you know, in there, in the words that you might see, like the enemy, you're letting the enemy in or you're, you know, and, and I think, oh, yeah. That, yeah, like there's this whole, I, you know, I watched actually a sermon last night about, I, I was on Twitter about it, about, um, anti-deconstruction and, and that's all it was. It was once you start to question the things you've thought all your life, you're, you're really opening your brain to the enemy. And it, and it was just su such this anti search for truth. And, and I think it lets go of the logic or even just the love piece of, I mean, when it comes to, for example, the LGBTQIA community, it's like, really, like when you really like, and I, I mean, I could talk about that for an entire podcast episode, but really to think about when you think through what you're asking of people, when you think through telling people that they should walk through your doors and be celibate for life, if they want to, if they want to really commit and the, the doubling down on what they've said are the rules and the, the severity and the strictness. People don't think about that because if, if they're not part of that community, they think, oh, that makes sense to me. And then when you really start to kind of explore it further, you're like, wait, this makes no sense at all. And, and to me, I got to the point where I was like, I would rather choose love over this interpretation of the Bible and fault me for that. I would, I would rather be loving to a fault even if it means I have kind of a looser interpretation of the Bible, but I just cannot reconcile with the way that certain groups that are marginalized are being treated right now. And so I think um, that's what draws me in. Now, as far as people of faith, um, sometimes I'm too much for them because sometimes they want <laughs> to hold on to that strict. You and me both. And it's, and it, that, and it can be hard. And I, you know, I've, had conversations where people don't want to engage in conversations about race or, or don't want to see the other side. But one thing that's, um, this is a really long answer to your question. Sorry, but. Oh, I love it. Long answers <laughs> are what this podcast is about. Yeah. Okay, good. One thing that's been really helpful is um, I, I read a book called Republican Like Me, and it was by a former CEO of NPR. And he went and kind of lived Republican for a year and, and visited all these different places. For me, it was a way that I wanted to understand, like, what happened? Why would we, how did people vote the way that they voted? And I really um, was trying to understand that. And he made some really good points where he said there is some gray area and there is some overlap and and it's so hard to see it when we're so polarized right now but one of the one of the ways that he said that was like let's take the issue of abortion for example and he said like people that are really really very pro life you could present them with something like what if you know the the mother's life is at risk then would you be pro life and generally they would say oh, no then in that case no and people that are very very pro choice you might present them with something like what if people are having abortions because they want to choose elect the gender that they want to have like what would you think then and then they might kind of think oh i don't know in that case you know and so i think when you look at issues there's not a black and white almost always there's always this gray area and i think when you start to see it that way you, you don't latch on to that certainty and you, you kind mm. of comfortable in this space of these are issues. And that's what like the pursuing life is like, these are issues I'm pursuing and trying to understand and trying to figure out, but I'm not landing. And that's not my goal. My goal is to constantly be learning and exploring. And my ultimate goal is to make sure that as I get there, 
that what I, the work I do isn't causing harm to com marginalized communities. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that's so good. And I think like <laughs> it's, it is, there is so much about what you just said that I feel like relates to conversations that I'm having on a regular basis with people in regards to wanting to have some established position of certainty. Um, and, and it's funny, I had a conversation the other day, which, which was that like, I feel like there are these, you know, uh, and I don't want to like, you know, call out Gen Z, but I feel like there are, there are to some extent, there are these kind of similarities I see sometimes between like boomers and Gen Z to some extent that, that, Whereas I feel like Gen Xers and millennials to some extent have been in between two different cultural norms. Uh, and we've seen, you know, we, I can relate to my boomer parents, uh, and understand where they're coming from. And I can also relate to my Gen Z friends who have grown up in a world where, you know, uh, uh, these, these issues are totally different, you know, like several of, you know, my friends who are Gen Z have no real world understanding of what it was like to not see LGBT people on, you know, media and in TV and, and all these things. It's, it's been a part of their culture since mm -hmm. they can even remember. Um, and I think that there is this unique space for those of us who occupy generational space in the middle to be able to have a conversation that kind of says these are not polar extreme realities where we need to land, um, but there is space for us to be able to. I loved your illustration of, you know, these two different scenarios on the pro-life, pro-choice issue um, because... I think that that's something I struggle with is someone who is being very, very pro-choice. There are, you know, situations where you begin to talk about eugenics or you begin to talk about, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, you know, deciding what color of eyes their child has or something like that. And you go, well, that doesn't feel ethical and that doesn't feel right. Um, and so how do we consider these things? And, and the same when it comes to, I think, gender and sexuality, you present these situations to people. I had a conversation um, with somebody who's still in evangelical ministry this last week and presented some of those kind of corner case scenarios. And I had the same reaction that you kind of just said is like, oh, well, I guess in that case, I would allow for that or in that case, but that that's very rare, you know, that's not the norm. But realizing that this norm that we, you know, tend to reference, we're realizing is less and less, you know, uh, the norm. It's it's less and less uh, something that consistently can be applied across all of society now that all of society is beginning to have some sense of a platform to be able to talk about their experience. And we're realizing that the experience of so many people is different. Um how, how, how did you, in your mind, I guess, did you have a sense of fear when beginning to ask some of these questions? You kind of referenced that a little bit in your earlier, uh, statement, but what, what was it like for you, I guess, to say, I don't know where I stand on this issue and I'm going to begin to question that. Um, and how did you, I guess, get through some of that initial fear that you might've had if you did have that? 
Um, well, I think it was, I think it was pretty gradual for me. I think that I, well, I did say, you know, I was kind of afraid of deconstruction. I, I think to be honest, I think I let all of that fear go on January 6th. I think that was when I, you know, I had been deconstructing, I had been exploring all of this, but there became certain points and it probably before January 6th, but there became certain points up until the election where politically it started to become like, this is like, the, the evangelicals have latched onto this and I cannot, I cannot do this. And so, I, I mean, I, we, we don't have to dive into all of that, but I, I do think there became this point where I started to see my deal breakers and I like racism is a deal breaker and, and loving the LGBTQ community is a deal breaker. And I started to see that for other people, the deal breakers were so different. And it was like, they would rather vote for a president that was racist and misogynistic and all of these other things. Those were not deal breakers. The deal breakers were, is he going to put a Supreme Court justice in office that is um, somebody that will maybe have a bent towards pro-life? And to me, I just, and and to see the impact, and I, ha- I know stories of people that um, have had impact by legislation like that, where they've had, you know, situations in their pregnancies where they've had to make decisions very quickly because their state would not allow them to terminate a pregnancy, even though the their child would not grow into full term, right? And so I think to see these stories and to see how legislation impacts and then to see how evangelicals were voting in that way, it just started to become, no, I just, I, and so I think there just became a point where I went from quietly and internally figuring this out to being way more public um, on my on my posts here and there. I would have a rainbow sometimes, and um, and then it just became no. This is this is what I'm about. It's kind of un- unpacking all of this and making sure that I default to love. Were the people in your immediate community at the time? Um, did you find them to be mostly those, um, you know, having those evangelical? nationalistic, uh, views? Yeah. So I would say, um, I was, I was actually going, I have a blog post about leaving my church. I was, I was pretty involved in, in a small group and going to a church that was complementarian and not affirming. And, but it was very, people didn't realize that it was complementarian and not affirming. And they were just like, this is a really happy, loving place. And, um, I had a book club with some friends and I picked Austin Channing Brown's book. Um, and I remember that that club being so there's so much tension and having people say, you know, I was I was I'm fine. I was fine before. Like I don't understand. And just the realization that um we're the, these are issues that are so critical to talk about. And there's a lot of people that are sitting in evangelical churches that are just comfortable in their space and thinking. I'm fine. Nothing, you know, I'm not getting, I I don't have microaggressions on a regular basis. And so I'm going to just keep going to church. And so I had that, but on the flip side, I had so much support from people that were on the margins are also just neighbors that were like, Oh my gosh, I saw your post and I'm not even Christian, but like, can I join your Facebook group? Like, is that cool? You know? And so I think seeing people that were non-religious that were just like, I want to talk about these issues. That was to me, that's where I was like, I don't, you know, if, if I end up kind of 
not being part of that faith community, which I ended up leaving anyway, I would so much rather just embrace everyone on their journey. And just uh, now I just, whether people identify as something or not, I just always say, it's always good to meet a fellow traveler. And that's just what I say, because everybody's on a journey, right? To figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what you just said is exactly what Josh had said at the beginning is like, you know, so many churches are not having these conversations and just, and just being rather, you know, comfortable in their, you know, I mean, I hate to use the word ignorance because it sounds so aggressive, but I mean, in their ignorance, you know, I mean, in, in their not knowing and just not wanting to know because they don't want to get uncomfortable. Um, I had a, I had a conversation with somebody this last week who was like, my, my fear about deconstruction is not losing my faith. Um, this is someone who's in ministry, uh, full time. And they said, my, my fear is, not being willing to acknowledge truth because I have to maintain some type of status quo for my profession. Um, that that was their greatest fear is like, I, I don't want to learn something that will make me draw a line. <laughs> you know, kind of like you talk about that January 6th experience for you and drawing a line and saying, okay, this is where I, I, I stop pretending to not see what's happening here. Um, in whatever particular issue. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, like for you, what, what does the future of your faith look like? I understand you're not looking to land. You're not looking to necessarily arrive somewhere. Um, but you still are engaging in these faith conversations. Um, you know, is there, is there a part of you that wants to like be a part of changing you know, kind of the culture of faith in evangelicalism or in Christianity as a whole. I'm curious, you know, like people ask me this question a lot as, a, as an outsider of like, why are you engaging in these conversations? So for you, what what is it that like keeps you having these conversations and what what is your goal or your objective? Um, oh, yeah, I have a couple of different things going on here. So um, I don't know what will happen to my book. I, I feel like I always say I'm deconstructing my book because it, it was a story that turned out it had a really nice bow tied on the end. And that's not what life is like. And um, there's a lot to unpack there. But I and we haven't gotten into this new year of questions about it. I'm happy to talk about it. But um, my dad and I have had a lot of conversations about this journey because he's still very um in the evangelical church and thinks it's great. And so, but he's also a lawyer and he's able to kind of see a lot of different sides about things. And so we both read Jesus and John Wayne and we had an hour and a half Zoom call where we kind of unpacked it. And it was so interesting because for him, he looks at, he, you know, he looks at Billy Graham and he thinks like, oh, he, but he was such a great person in the evangelical world. And, you know, he wasn't abusive. And then, you know, he's like, but in, in what about like John Piper? Like I didn't love John Piper. So I, you know, I'm okay. And then when I start pointing out things like purity culture and patriarchy, he starts to see maybe your experience in evangelicalism as a woman was maybe different than mine as a man, you know? And so we've been able to have these conversations where I've been pushing back and he's been kind of, um, just interested and intrigued and engaged and, and we're able to still, at the end of the day, maybe disagree here and there, but still get through. And that's not a common experience with people that are deconstructing and their evangelical parents, right? And so that's something yeah, that I congrats. About, that's... about. Like I've I've I'm 
maybe putting together a proposal to do that. And so um, just the conversations like the deconstructing daughter and her evangelical dad or whatever it turns into. Um, and so that's one thing that I've kind of had working um, on the other piece. Um, there's a, a panel of folks that we've met through clubhouse or Twitter or wherever that are all kind of in this space. And we've pulled together a pretty diverse panel of people that are kind of experts in different topics, liberation, theology, womanism, different areas and we've talked about, do we create a course or some kind of community or what do we do? And and with, of course, the tension and the fear of, I always say, we don't want like the end of the Hunger Games, like to build a new version of the same bad thing, right? And so <laughs> yeah, we've, we've lived in that space. I'm getting a, um, a certificate to be a life coach, group coach, um, just kind of to have them in, the, in my back pocket is like, if we were to kind of launch some kind of community, could there be an element where we could support people in this space that maybe we're not all local, but we're all kind of zooming in now that everybody's figured that out. Um, so th- I do have some things brewing um, and I, but I, I think what everybody craves, they leave the church, but they still want community. And so having that safe space um, we see it in clubhouse, people just long for those conversations where they're just embraced and accepted. And there's people that come to the stage and say, you know, I'm a black trans man and I, I've lost my church community. I've lost my local community. I don't have a community except for what I have here, you know? And so I think to, to see that there are places that people feel warm and loved and safe and accepted. I, I think that alone says, you know, what could come of this? I don't know. So, and we always kind of hold it loosely because we feel like the moment we start to bank on something and try to build something, it, it turns into the same, the new version of the same bad thing. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. We we're we're dealing, you know, everyone who's working in this space and participating in this space is, is, you know, at the same time, you know, trying to publicly kind of talk about things and also is internally emerging, you know, like I'm constantly going through change. Josh and I have talked about that, you know, in terms of like, we're constantly figuring out, you know, where, we stand or what we think about different things and that, that changes. And I think that, that, that creating space for that to feel comfortable for people to change in public, you know, and try things on in public and, and not have a sense of, of shame when we maybe go, okay, well, no, that wasn't quite the right fit for me. Um, do you have anything specific, Josh? I have another question, but I, I don't want to, I just, sometimes I just fire questions away. <laughs> no. And Josh just sits um, there and goes, uh. <laughs> no, I sit here and go, hmm. Mm, um, yeah. Mm. He's our I live just, audience. <laughs> I was just thinking about um, how, what you were talking about earlier about the importance of just figuring out or listening to the other perspective, right? You may have gone through the same thing, but what is the other perspective? And when we think that we know how another person feels about a certain subject where we are making a judgment. Um, so I just want to, want to just reiterate that for sure. Uh, also I had the curious, um, have you read, have you heard of this book called, um, a hidden wholeness? by no. uh parker palmer i haven't either oh uh, you dig it uh, it's called it's called a hidden wholeness their journey toward an undivided life and it's a lot about um 
is that this guy, Parker Palmer, he's a Quaker. And it's a lot about like community and speaking together about the issues in community. Um, I don't know. It's phenomenal. I think you dig it. Yeah. I'll check it out. Cool. I've heard of Parker Palmer. Okay, cool. Awesome. I'll, I'm put it on the stack. Uh, definitely sounds, sounds interesting. Um, one of, one of my questions, uh, was, you know, something that I've faced and we've talked about on other episodes, uh, of this podcast is, you know, I face quite a bit of shame, uh, myself about the different beliefs that I've had in the past, as well as the residual effects of how I've, you know, promoted those beliefs. And I think that that is another factor that people that causes discomfort when people begin to question or change their beliefs is, man, I, I perpetuated these ideas and it feels sometimes very shameful to publicly change because I've, I've brought people into ideas or sold people on concepts that I no longer hold to be true. Do you find that in a lot like that, that experience a lot with people that you're talking with? And have you, have you experienced or dealt with that yourself at all? Yeah. I mean, I think I'll tell you a little story. There's, there's a huge piece of why I'm struggling with wanting to publish the book that I have. And it has to do with what I alluded to earlier about my daughter. So I'll briefly just tell you that when she was a baby, we saw that she had some cysts on her kidneys and we spent five years exploring it. And every time we would take her to the doctor, we'd find new things. She has, Oh, she has this thing on her, um, on her skin. She has these new spots or, and then we eventually found she had something on her brain. And so, um, we, in the process, we were in a small group where we were praying healing over her, you know, and it was just very like, maybe you should visit Bethel and maybe, you know, and all of these things. And so mm. we're going through this very complicated process of like, what does healing look like? And we had certain things that we celebrated as miracles in this whole process. Right. And ultimately, by the time we got a diagnosis, she has a condition called tuberous sclerosis. The, by the time we got a diagnosis on the outside, she's like a totally just, um, no, she has, she doesn't present as having any symptoms of this at all. And on the inside, she's got a couple things that we monitor and check on a regular basis. And she's six now and she's so stable. And, um, the tubers on her brain could very easily cause seizures or developmental delays. And we haven't seen any of that. Right. And so, um, also there's a lot of children that have this, this genetic condition that present very severe. And so children that, um, present, with, um, on the autism spectrum and, and all kinds of things. And so in my story, I wrote my story as, wow, God, like healed, had this like miraculous thing that he did with our daughter. And, and as I explored that, I started to really find a lot of discomfort in really celebrating her for what, what she's not in, in standing her up to, there's a lot of, families that have journeys with disabilities, with chronic illness, with all kinds of things that I want to honor and I want to see. And I don't want to place somebody else's chronic illness next to somebody else and say, you know, that one way is better than another way. And so in that, I think I'm starting to see where there's these narratives of healing and miracles where we can say, oh, this is like this better thing, this closer to this standard of what we've said is more what whole godly, I don't know. And so 
I think I am working through those kind of issues now. And I think had I published this book, which I, I mean, I had some connections that got it submitted to Zondervan in the early stages pre-deconstruction. And I'm so grateful that that didn't happen because um, I just think had I published that book and had I put that narrative out there, then now I would really be struggling with that a lot more. And now I can struggle with it and figure out, do I want to rewrite this? Do I want to write a new book? What can I do? But all I know is that my perspective of how I look at that journey is is still changing. And we're still kind of figuring out what was that? And and how do we approach this? And how do we honor the journey of people that live with chronic disabilities on a regular basis? Mm. Yeah, I think I relate to that a lot. My daughter is a type one diabetic and we discovered that when she was 18 months old and she was literally dying at our house. And so we had to like really rush her. Um, and, uh, there's, there is, um, I mean, with that kind of stuff, man, it's just, it's hard. And, and I think that there is, man, getting to a place where you're okay with not getting answers. Um, that's a journey. That's a journey right there. Yeah. And I think it just, I think that as I went through that journey and I imagine Josh, this happened to you, you would get a lot of people that would say, well, at least it's not like they would say, well, you know, Oh oh, yeah. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. at least it's not this, or at least it's not that. And I think trying to understand how to be seen for what the journey that you are on and to say, you know, but this space that I'm living in is hard and then honor everyone's journey. I think that's the struggle, right? And so I think, um, you know, I and and that's. I mean, I've, I'm a teacher, and so I've had students with diabetes, and so it's, it is like there's so much difference in those journeys, right? And so there's certain things that you're checking in on every single day, right? And I think wanting to honor everyone's peace and and how hard just life can be and seeing people, I think that's kind of what, where I'm, what I'm about and what I want to be about and not say, at least it's not this, but like, I see you and I see what this is like and I see how hard it is. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Have you seen the, um, well, uh, Brene Brown's, uh, empathy animation video? Oh yes. I was going to say, I have, there's a podcast that everyone has recommended or her pot, her, maybe it's a specific Ted talk, but, and I need to read more of her work, but yes, I have seen that video. Yes. It's so awesome. Yes, it's very I haven't good. seen it though. So that's the, yeah. I'll I'll have to I'll have to look it up. It's like two minutes long. It's it's great. It's a little cartoon. I, I love Brene Brown, and and we can give a quick. I can give a quick plug for if you haven't uh, yet read it, Megan. The the her book about belonging. I believe it's called Into the Wilderness. Um, braving is it wilderness. braving the wilderness? Braving the wilderness. Yeah. Um, I read that book like kind of like right at my kind of like, that was, that was where I had, I had, I had kind of deconverted quietly inside, you know, maybe a year or two previous to that book. But that book was what gave me really a lot of courage to like really be out and public about my, where I, where I was and just be honest um, about what I thought about things. And so I, I'm forever grateful to Brene Brown for that book specifically is, is, has a special, special place in my heart. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, 
through all these conversations that we're having through this podcast that we're having on Clubhouse, uh, you know, my my longing is to exactly what you said about trying to acknowledge and see people for the very experience they're having and honor that experience. Um, and I think that, you know, culturally there is outside of even just evangelicalism, there is this American kind of idea that, that really makes that difficult. We really like our binaries. We really like our dualistic thinking. Um, and we really like our certainty. And so I'm really grateful for, for folks like you who are creating space, but I also know how difficult that is, um, and how, you know, I, I have, I have the thoughts of like, who am I (laughs) to, 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 to create these spaces or to, 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 to facilitate these kinds of conversations. And one of the things that I've always been really impacted by the spaces that you've created is it's always been so inclusive. It's always been so just the desire behind everything I've seen you do is to just allow people to have space. And so I don't know, I don't have a question in there as much as just to say, I'm really grateful for you and for the, for that work that you're doing. Yeah, no, thank you. I will, I'll, I'll respond to that because it is my desire to be, I always say like, I want to be inclusive as fuck. Like that's my, that's my thing. But I love that. Put it on I, a t-shirt. I do struggle sometimes <laughs> because you find people wandering into the space that are non-affirming or that come into the space and say like, oh yeah, deconstruction, that's rad. But like, I mean, church isn't all bad, right? Like you can deconstruct within that space, right? Like, and, and not seeing the toxicity that people have experienced. And so you see people that come in and they're like, but like, like, could you just go to church though? And I, I, so I think I struggle sometimes with how to be inclusive when you do find people, because you're like, yeah, I want to be inclusive as fuck, but not if somebody in this community is going to harm somebody else in this community. Right. And so when I've had people say like, I've deconstructed. And so I, like, I I'm here and I've deconstructed, but I've deconstructed back into conservative beliefs. And so you're like, well, okay. Um, tell me more about that. <laughs> and, um, because they're, you know, they've found this sense of belonging in the, in what they believed I, whatever, for whatever reason. Right. And I think what you said about the binaries, I think there's there's this safety in drawing these lines and saying, I'm in, I'm within those lines. Um, and, and having the certainty of like, okay, I belong there, you know, and, in this not realization of what it means to be out and what it means to, I mean, I've written about this before, but it is life or death for our LGBTQ friends, right? Like there are, there are people with ideation because of how they've been raised with this sense of like, don't believe your true identity. That is the enemy. Your true identity is, the enemy, you know, and just, like you are not this whatever. And I think seeing the beauty of people growing into their full selves and their full, like who they are and their full identities and being able to find an affirming space. And so, yes, inclusivity is, is my jam, but I do, I have an asterisk there right now because I'm trying to figure out what that looks like when you don't want to bring people in the space that would cause harm. So. Man, that's, that is such a good point and something that I think, 
I still don't know exactly how to do, you know, I think that that is something that so many of us are trying to figure out, um, is I think, I think, you know, part of, part of what I'm coming to in, in, with that question is, is, you know, it's gotta be personal. Anytime that you, you have somebody trying to take their experience and put it upon other people, I think is where you get into trouble. I mean, if somebody wants to say that for them, they have arrived at a certain place and, you know, this is where they're at currently. I I think that we just have to make sure that we give people the space to say, you don't have to arrive there, you know, and that's okay. Uh, Because, because, you know, I don't want to not acknowledge wherever somebody is at, but if somebody's trying to put that on a whole group of people or somebody else, you know, uh, let that be an individual thing. Yeah. And I think that's hard. Yeah. We don't see that a lot with evangelicals, right? It's like, and so I think, um, you know, I, I created a club in clubhouse called progressive Christians. And I, I, I like spent a long time laboring over what the name of the club would be. Cause I was like, I really want it to be progressive and post Christians, but the name's too long and it won't fit. It won't let me accept that. <laughs> but, um, the, I just love to see like people, there's atheists in the club, there's agnostics, there's people that feel very comfortable in that space. And I think there's a lot of people that have deconstructed out of labels altogether and it doesn't matter. Like they, they know what it's about and they're, they, they feel comfortable and that's great. And so I think it's, it's not necessarily the label, but it's, it's exactly what you said. And it's, um, I'm not pushing you into something, but this is where I stand and that works for me. And when people say like, oh, I see progressive Christian on your profile. So like, how did you land there? And I kind of say, well, that's where I am today. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm not going to say I've cornered the market on truth. I'm not going to say I have it all figured out because I'm still evolving. So yeah. Yeah. And I think allowing for people, these, these labels and these definitions are all, can, can be helpful, you know, can all be helpful, but also are all very unique to each of us that are claiming them, you know, what it means for me, you know, I remember having a conversation with, uh, Will Thorpe from Heretical Theology, who was on the podcast. I love Will, yes. I, yeah, I love Will too. And, and I remember a clubhouse, I think that we did, uh, him and I together. And and he said, I mean, you can, you want to be in a, you know, a Christian atheist or a Christian agnostic or a agnostic atheist. Like he's like, it's okay to, to muddle those together and say you land somewhere in the cross sections of these, these realities. You do not have to, and, and that may not be what it means for me to say, I am an atheist, right? You know, we may have different definitions of that thing and we can talk about the beauty of the similarities and the differences, but it's got to be focused on the individual experience and also acknowledging someone's labels. I think that this is another important thing that, you know, uh, you know, our boomer friends uh, tend to to get <laughs> upset about because they're like, well, it's got to mean this. And if words lose their meaning, then we might as well, you know, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, what, what it means to be queer for me may not be what it means to be queer for, for somebody else may, you know, what it means to be, you know, my gender expression may be different for me than for somebody else. And so I think just realizing that our labels and our expression 
does not have to be fixed and does not have to be something that we all agree on before we start the conversation. We can explore those expressions together through conversation and we can do it with empathy. Um, but I think that that's the biggest thing that I find is that you've got to have whoever wants to participate in that conversation has to have empathy. It has to be from a desire to create safe and, and productive spaces and not to change people's minds about things. Cause I think that that that's, is a critical that's thing. what creates. Yeah. I've, I, in that's fact, what creates the toxicity. I recently like exited a Twitter conversation and somebody was like, wow, I really admire your ability to walk away. And I, and I always say the moment I see that it turns from somebody with the posture to convince versus the posture to listen and understand, I walk away because I'm not, that's not what I'm about. Like I, you know, if I'm exploring it, I, and I'm wondering, and I just kind of want to see your perspective. Sure. But if I'm trying to like, I, I don't go at it with, I'm trying to convince you so that I feel right. And you feel wrong. Like that, that's not what it's about. And so I walk away because there's no, there's no need for that. Right. But a conversation, sure. Where we're all trying to understand each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I've always, <laughs> so I have a, a rule for myself that's, you know, I, if you, I'm not going to give my like personal opinion or advice if you're not asking for it, you know, if you don't ask for it, then you just don't want it. So <laughs> it's that <Yeah>. simple. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I think that, that one of the things that I, I heard Adrian Gibbs on the last episode of uh, Dirty Rotten Church Kids when they were talking about race and they were talking about, you know, some of the, you know, uh, you know, these, these conversations around race where people want to like play devil's advocate or, you know, have a, you know, hypothetical conversation about something. And, and he was just saying like, like realize that people of color don't owe you that hypothetical conversation, you know, yeah. he's like, do you, if you want to have, you know, some type of, you know, devil's advocate conversation, you you can come and talk to, to, to me as you know, what he said, it like, like, and, and I realized too, that like there, I always wanted to give people permission to say like, this is not a conversation that I'm obliged or required to have. Um, and, you know, I love, you know, getting into conversations with like very conservative fundamentalists about their stuff because it's not as traumatic for me, but I don't hold that as a virtue that everyone needs to have. If this conversation with a fundamentalist is triggering to you and is creating trauma and is flaring up trauma in your life, you have every right to say, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and that is not you being closed minded or being, you know, uh, you know, anything other than looking out for yourself yeah. and your own mental health. And that should be, you know, applauded for, for people to do that for themselves. So, yeah. yeah. And I think it, it surprises, it can be surprising what will trigger something, you know? And so I think listening to that, I mean, I, I'll have like a physical, like, you know, feeling about seeing a response or something that's out there. I mean, even like Tim Keller recently and his hot takes on, abstinence and purity culture, you know, and I think, Oh yeah, we could do a whole episode. Yeah. Like seeing that <laughs> and like having, you know, I, I, when my dad was in town, I laid out all the books that I was getting rid of. And, um, he was like, so what you're just like, like, have you read all these authors? Do you know what they all think? Do they, I mean, are they all people? And I was like, I guarantee you, none of them are affirming and they're all white men. And I'm just, you know, not going to read white men for, a little while. And it was like Tim Keller and John Ortberg and 
Um, Need a white man break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, a little white man fast. I, I, I'm with like you. all, you know, and so I think, but, and then one by one, they all come out like, and then right after that was Tim Keller. And so I think just seeing that and being like, do you like, do you not see that that can be triggering for whatever reason, you know? And like, it might not be for a white man, but it might be for somebody that was steeped in purity culture for years, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in, in kind of wrapping up, we, I mean, we have so much we could talk about, but I am, uh, on a hard time end here, uh, here in the next few. So would you tell our listeners a little bit about, I, you've mentioned the Facebook group, your Instagram, your Twitter clubhouse, just give a quick rundown on all those places that people can connect with you, what you're doing and the community that is, you know, forming around, you know, the work that you're doing. Yeah. So yeah, I have a Facebook group called The Pursuing Life. It's called uh, Progressive Christians Deconstruction and More, but it's all under The Pursuing Life. And that's where you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, but Twitter is my jam lately. That's where I hang out. And so me too. Um, yeah, it's I'm been fun it. and I've made a lot of good connections. And then on Thursday nights, we do a clubhouse room at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And Kevin Nye and I are working on, um, we're going to be launching a new series um, probably on Monday afternoons called Pursuing Justice, where each week has a different justice theme. And I'm really pumped about that because I think a lot of progressives fall into this space of like, I'm super excited about justice, but um, but then, you know, kind of don't talk about it or do anything about it. And so I think I'm just so excited to kind of move forward on yes. some things. So. You guys are doing that on Clubhouse? Yeah, that's, we've, it's in the works. We haven't, but yeah, so Monday afternoons and we're going to hopefully pull in different experts and different topics that can help us moderate. And um, he has a ton of experience around homeless services, but also um, drug rehabilitation and things like that. And so I think um, we'd love to see more um, yeah. trauma, ACEs, things like that, that we can really dive into on a, a much deeper level. So. Kevin, Kevin is dope as fuck. I love Kevin. Uh, I really appreciate, uh, his voice and, and what he's doing. So hope to have him on the podcast at some point. He's on my short list too. Yeah. Of, of other people <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to. <laughs> Very cool. So that's, that's a really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get involved in that. Okay. So that's clubhouse Thursday night is your progressive post-Christian talks. Um, and you have a consistent co-host for that. Yeah. Teal short. I'll put a plug in for him and then Brittany and, um, we're a good team, man. And I love it. And, um, Brittany, I was, I was talking to her last night and I was like, man, you should be a life coach. You're just so good at this. And I love her. Yeah. She's great. And, um, Teal has his intentional communities, um, in he's part of an intentional community in Chicago. And so if you're interested in that, he loves to talk about that. So, um, yeah, it's a great group. That's awesome. And then you're on Instagram as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, I am. Okay. Um, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to put a little side plug. I, I have a, I have a running side to me. So if anybody's a runner, I have a, a little side gig called the pursuing mile, which is slowly building oh, awesome. and I'm cool. running a half marathon in every state. So I'm 10 States into that journey. So. Have you done one in Colorado yet? No. Can I come? Will you, will uh, you, yeah. uh, yeah, find it. me a race? We'll I will come and visit you. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll put you up. We'll find a, a, th- a thing for you to do. And if Josh and I get in shape enough, by the time that happens, we'll, we'll run it with you. You'll probably, <laughs> I mean, like I, I'm not used to the elevation, so Hey, you have a leg up on me there. So yeah, I don't know, man. You, you... would think, but 
we're we're not runners, but uh, I would love to be. That's that's super inspiring to me, and I will probably follow. That's on Instagram that you're doing and that. Pursuing, pursuing Mile. Check it out. I'm about to launch a okay. virtual race, and I'm hoping to pull in at least one person from every state. So. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. I definitely will. Definitely will. And then the the pursuinglife.com, correct? Is yes, where, that's like, my your blog. blog and, and I just I, a, a warning that. Some of my blog is pre-deconstruction and some of my blog is during deconstruction and that's where I'm at now. So if you want like a fun little afternoon activity, you can go try to identify which posts, maybe the ones about heavenly worship, um, that might be pre-deconstruction. <laughs> but, you know, that's awesome. maybe the ones about my deal breakers, that would be post. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. You know, it's, it's really giving everyone permission to, you know, change in public, you know, because we're all in public these days with social media. And it is okay to look back on our Zanga posts and go, ooh. <laughs> oh, Zanga. Oh, we should do a podcast episode just about Zanga. I love it. Awesome. Yes. 100%. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being on. And I really appreciate you making time. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully a lot of folks who listen to this will get connected with you on all those different platforms. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Thanks for having me. This has been fun. <laughs> all right. I don't even right. know how Settle. we're supposed to Settle. do this. Settle. All right. Hey, uh, can thank we, you. Can we get vulnerable for a second, Josh, with the Let's audience? Get, with Let's those? get vulny. Let's get Volney. I don't like that shortening of that word. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about a little bit on air what we were talking about earlier because we're we're we've got several other interviews we want to do this season of their after podcast and we were talking about it before the show and and I am kind of a compulsive weirdo. <laughs> Josh, would you? You don't have to. You don't have to admit that. Actually, no. We're getting we're getting vulnerable. It's okay. Yeah, we're getting vulny or whatever you said. (laughs) And uh, you know, now that you said it, I don't like it either. (laughs) Josh Josh is at work, and so he's not you know having a beer and and in the right vibe, uh, you know, for for a long conversation. But you know, I when we started this podcast, you know, we didn't know what it was going to look like. We've kind of like explored, you know, some of our ideas throughout doing the first 16 episodes so far. We're now in 17 uh, and we've got a bunch of other really interesting people that we want to talk to. But we also really want to engage with our audience more. Mm-hmm. Um, those of you who are listening, we want to hear from you and, and not feel like we're screaming into the void <laughs> or just like <laughs> putting this content out into the void. Um And then also, I mean, you know, the thing is like, we want to, uh, you know, we don't want to be just throwing stuff together. Uh, we want to take time to really kind of curate the interviews and the topics that we talk about. However, I have fear, Josh, I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if we, if we take a pause, if we take a break, uh, mm. because I'm so like, kind of like all about momentum and being compulsive and all this sort of thing that we're going to, that it, people are going to forget about us and they're um, going to go away and they're not going to listen anymore. <laughs> what do you, what do you think about that? Josh, Josh was telling me I'm crazy for thinking that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think, I think that we, even though the podcast is a little bit sometimes discombobulated behind the scenes um 
You don't we, think people I can think, tell? I I don't think people can tell. And it I comes off looking I mean, super. We, I, it's very. We just admitted to it. <laughs> um, yeah, people but, know now. Uh, I think that there will be a really good, um, just for us to be able to take a a a, a good, um, strong look at our structure and those things, those ideas, and those topics, I think it would be beneficial for us and the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, we're going to, we've got a few more episodes in the kitty. Yeah. In Throw the back kitty. to episode one. <laughs> uh, we've got a few more episodes in the kitty that we, we're going to be putting out on season one. And then we're going to take a brief hiatus probably after that. Um, but if you forget about us, I'm going to cry. I'm going to be so sad. And you don't want to be responsible for that type of sadness. So here's what I'm asking is, you know, engage with us, subscribe and follow on Apple podcasts on Spotify, do it on both. You know, if you got Apple podcasts and Spotify, you got Stitcher and overcast, go ahead and subscribe in all four places. That's good for Mm -hmm. us. Uh, Uh, For news, Instagram. Yeah. Go, go follow us on Instagram. Um, and then, you know, uh, maybe shoot us a DM and say, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm not going nowhere. You know, (laughs) is that, (laughs) is that too desperate to ask people to do (laughs) anyway, we, we, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put out a few more episodes. We're going to wrap season two and we have so much more that we want to do. Yeah. Wrap season one so that we can get into season two. We have so much more that we want to do in season two. Um, but it's, you know, the internet, the speed of the internet, you know, I feel like, and I don't know if anyone who's listening who, who feels this way too. I feel like there's like always this new thing. It's like, I'm on clubhouse and then I'm meeting people and then I'm on Instagram and I'm finding these new accounts and then I'm subscribing to these new podcasts. And then I got to download this book and I listen to two chapters of the book. And then all of a sudden I hear about this other book and I got to get it. And <laughs> I start yes. listening to that book and yeah, then right. halfway through that book, they're like, Oh, they mentioned this podcast. So I download that podcast. I mean, the speed of the internet is crazy. And so we don't want to be driven by that. Uh, we want to make sure that we slow things down so that we can really provide, uh, you know, a, a podcast that is, you know, that is, that it's, that's worthwhile. This is where that seven Enneagram is working against you. Yeah, dude. My seven energy <laughs> is raging out of control, but I'm having fun doing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so long story short, uh, if you like this podcast, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. follow us on Instagram, tell a friend about it. Um, if there's episodes that you've missed or that you haven't had a chance to listen to, go back and, and, and give them a listen, give them a download, send them to somebody, you know, uh, who might be interested. And, uh, we've got some great things coming over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm so excited for some of these, uh, some of these next episodes. Oh, yeah. And we're going to do some topical episodes too. So here's, here's another thing too, is if, if you have something, you know, we have had a few people reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to hear you guys talk about this. If you got something like that and you're like, Hey, this is what I'm, you know, curious about or interested in shoot us a DM and uh, we can help that can help kind of shape, you know, some of the episodes we plan here for the end of season one and for going into season two. So uh, all that being said, uh, Josh, anything else for the listeners in this uh, Volney uh, closing? (laughs) You started it. I cannot wait till I am at home. (laughs) 
Yep. We can all relate to that. So uh, that being said, uh, we hope uh, that everyone stays safe and hugs their loved ones, uh, get vaccinated, uh, and enjoy the next couple weeks uh, until we're back with you out there in the thereafter. 